It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to TV's Top 5, the Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast. I'm Leslie Goldberg, West Coast TV editor, and I'm joined as usual by my amazing and talented co-host and friend, Dan Feinberg, THR's chief TV critic. Welcome, Dan. Amazing and talented. You're amazing and talented too, Leslie. Oh, this is the way I like to start every podcast, with a gush fest. Well, beyond that, <laughs> every week on the podcast, Dan and I are going to go beyond the headlines of the top TV stories and offer a deep dive into the latest news and biggest episodes of the week. With all that out of the way, let's get to it. Number one. Batting lead off this week, the Oscar nominations are out. Yes, this is a TV podcast, but the Oscars are broadcast on television. <laughs> Roma and the favorite lead the pack with 10 nominations apiece. Both are up for Best Picture alongside Black Landsman, Black Panther, Bohemian Rhapsody, Green Book, A Star is Born, and Vice. On the talent side, there's a number of former and future TV stars who earned acting nominations. Melissa McCarthy, Lady Gaga, Rami Malek, Regina King, Emma Stone. Amy Adams, Mahershala Ali, Adam Driver, Sam Rockwell, the list goes on. Dan, this is starting to feel a little bit like the Emmys for me. Well, first of all, we want to talk a little bit about Kevin Hart, right? No, not at all. (sighs) Yes, absolutely. We can definitely talk about the Oscars because they're basically, let's be honest, like everything else, they're all about TV these days. I mean, the best movie of the year was, of course, a TV movie, as I'm going to call Roma because I wish to appropriate Roma. Roma's a great movie. It's a wonderful movie. It's not really a TV movie. I understand that. But darn it, it's a Netflix movie and Netflix is TV. So if you look across the nominees, I think one of the things you'll discover is that it's simply easier for people to do both at the same time now. So you can have a Rami Malek doing Mr. Robot and then also doing Bohemian Rhapsody and... You know, so it requires him a couple months to get used to talking with the horrible teeth in his mouth, but he can fit everything into his schedule. And the great thing about Regina King is that she can do literally whatever she wants. And I'm glad to see someone like her getting Oscar recognition, though the way I look at it is she's won three Emmys in the past five years. It's not like she's starved for recognition. And I think her part in If Beale Street Could Talk would probably be about her 10th or 15th best TV part of the past five years. So anyway, yes, lots and lots of TV related people. And thus we get to talk about the Oscar nominees. That's right. And I'm really looking forward to what Sam Rockwell is doing next. It's premiering in April. It's Fosse Vernon. He's starring opposite Michelle Williams. That's going to be huge for them too. I think that that is a, a big swing. And the fact that 
Michelle Williams doesn't have an Oscar already is is remarkable. But yeah, you you look across all of the nominations and there are lots of kind of backwards and forwards ripple effects with television also. So, you know, you've had Netflix getting all excited and all ready for the upcoming third season of The Crown in which Claire Foy becomes Olivia Coleman. And in a perfect world, both of their two Queen Elizabeths were going to be nominated for Oscars. But then Claire Foy wasn't nominated for First Man, which is sad because First Man was a better movie than it got credit for. But still, and she was excellent. And she was excellent in it in an entirely thankless part that she makes work. So much credit to Claire Foy. But you still have Olivia Coleman and Netflix going excellent. Yes, we would love to have Oscar winner Olivia Coleman stepping in as Queen Elizabeth. And, you know, we could also discuss Gillian Anderson going to be uh, Margaret Thatcher, but that's season four of The Crown. So we're already like years away from that. But yeah, as you say, you you know, you get you get Sam Rockwell, who obviously didn't need this nomination for Vice to make him Oscar winner. Sam Rockwell, really all this does is he somehow got a Oscar nomination for like a five minute part that was all in the trailers, which annoys me. But what can you do? Fosse Vernon, though, totally was going to be uh, Easy to hype regardless. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> yeah, all sorts of people who have come up through television and, and through great quality television. You know, you had Emma Stone, who was most recently seen on Maniac, but without that thing where uh, where they were trying to cast a new version of the Partridge family, would we even know who Emma Stone was? And then you've got good old Will Tippin from Alias or the star of Kitchen Confidential or occasional guest star on Limitless, uh, Bradley Cooper who got snubbed for Best Director, but, you know, has all sorts of other nominations. You've got Mahershala Ali up for his, uh, possibly his second Oscar, but he's also currently on your TV screens in True Detective. You have Amy Adams, who, of course, was a regular guest star on The Office and starred in the the Cruel Intentions sequel that went straight to video. All sorts of great people with TV pedigree, and we just own them all here at TV's Top 5. They, they they might be in movies occasionally, but they will always be TV stars to us. Yeah, and the line is definitely blurring as you start to see companies like Netflix and Amazon recruit more of these top name stars. I mean, just remember, Julia Roberts was in season one of Amazon's Homecoming. She won't return for season two. But that still makes her an Emmy favorite. It does, though she couldn't get a, an Oscar nomination, even though uh, Ben is back. She gives a really great performance in, in Ben is back. The movie itself, kind of so-so and mediocre, but she's fantastic in it. So so she can still be a TV star and a movie star. We'll allow Julia Roberts to do both. You know why? Because we are just that generous. Right. And Naomi Watts is doing the Game of Thrones prequel and, and previously did a Netflix show. And she maintains her film career as well. I mean, this is... You know, with with the advent of shorter order series, a lot of big name TV stars are starting to come in to TV because, look, the writing is great. You have the ability to juggle one series while you're on hiatus between films. You can do three, four projects in a year, depending on the scope. And it's not just the stars. Adam McKay, to my mind, the best thing he directed or had anything to do with last year was the pilot for Succession on HBO. So while he amazing pilot, fantastic pilot, wonderfully directed, to me, a much more coherent piece of vision than Vice was. But, you know, he, he can do both things. Uh, Alfonso Cuaron, as I kept telling everyone yesterday uh, yesterday morning and making people remember this, the only thing he directed between Gravity and Roma is the classic NBC pilot Believe. I promise you that was actually a television show. I actually wrote about that multiple times, and I am hard-pressed to tell you who was in it 
and how many episodes actually aired. Okay, Delroy Lindo was in it, and several other people, including a young actress who I believe either her first or last name was Sequoia. I don't remember anything else. I'm just pretty sure her name was Sequoia. This is riveting content, yeah. <laughs> this segment has been called Dan Attempts to Remember Short-Lived NBC Dramas from Three Years Ago. I think it aired 12 episodes. It might have shot 13. Well, I, that feels like a low point of our Oscar conversation. So let's move on to our second topic this week. Let's shift to the stage. Number two. Fox on January 27th will air its live rendition of Jonathan Larson's Tony-winning musical Rent. This is one of my all-time favorites. And for those unaware, this is a rock musical loosely based on La Boheme. Follows a group of young artists struggling to survive in New York's East Village in the 1990s under the shadow of HIV and AIDS. Dan... You and I have very different feelings when it comes to this play. Are you looking forward to watching this? I mean, I went back and read your review of Grease Live. You liked what Fox did there. And I this did. is, of course, the follow-up. It is. It's sort of the follow-up, except that it's been such a long time between them. They had the they had the odd passion thing that aired afterwards with Daughtry. Then they also totally desecrated Rocky Horror Picture Show. I've completely forgotten about both of those. It, see the, that's, this is what I'm. This is what I'm doing on this podcast today. Is I'm remembering things that people would just as soon have forgotten. Uh, That's going to be our next segment next week. <laughs> when I've already forgotten about Rent Live too. Um, no, it, it's one of the odd things though about about these live musicals is that the refinement process is so strange that no one is actually building on momentum. So NBC, they had Sound of Music, which was pretty awful, but which was a huge hit. Then they it took a long time before they did Peter Pan, which was a disaster. I think it was a better production, but it was still much maligned. The Jesus Christ Superstar they did was extremely well received, you know, Emmy winning, Emmy nominated, all of that gave John Legend his EGOT. And now we're still waiting for how long it's going to be before they get to the follow up, uh, which I guess is hair. And it's this spring, it's maybe currently casting. Yeah. So but no one's building on momentum. Fox did nothing to gain on momentum from Grease Live, which I thought was a really good production. Yes, as you mentioned, I don't like Rent. I know that many people love Rent. I respect the legacy and importance of Rent and what Jonathan Larson did with Rent and why it was significant. I saw the original live cast in London, which was two thirds of the Broadway cast. So I feel like I've seen it under absolutely ideal circumstances. I just don't think it's a great musical, but that doesn't mean that I can't appreciate if it's going to be well-staged and exciting. So talk us through some of the cast and who you're excited to see as a fan. I mean, as a fan, I'm just excited to see this, period. I mean, this is something that, like, you want to talk about the delay. I just want to go back and talk about for a second the delay between Greece and Rent. Fox announced Rent more than a year ago. This is something that has extremely complicated rights issues surrounding it. There were rights issues when they did the, the movie in 2005, which we all, as dire, <laughs> as a diehard Ren fan, we like to ignore and pretend that that didn't happen, even though it featured much of the original Broadway cast. What this is at its heart is a story about acceptance, about living and dealing and coping with HIV and AIDS, and it's airing on a broadcast network whose mandate is to go big, broad, procedurals, unscripted hits like The Masked Singer, and multi-camera comedies that appeal to a large conservative audience like Last Man Standing. So to bring a play about this subject matter to a mass audience, I always go back to the Harvey Milk quote, right? If they know us, they can't discriminate against us. And that's one of the reasons that, A, that Rent strikes such a chord for me personally, 
and B, why I'm really excited to see this on a big network like Fox. I think there's significance to it, obviously. And I think that, as you say, the significance has changed and shifted and the conversation has changed and shifted. But I don't think that any of the conversations that are being had in Rent have become irrelevant, which, you know, is sad in its own way, you know, that, that we're still having these conversations well over a decade, 20 years after it premiered. So I, I think there's significance. I, I'm kind of wondering if you're setting yourself up for a huge disappointment and if I'm setting myself up to be hugely surprised and if we're going to meet somewhere in the middle and I'll be like, hey, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. And you'll be like, it wasn't everything I wanted it to be. And, you know, <laughs> we'll see who ends up happier at the end of the broadcast. I'm completely fine if it winds up somewhere in the middle. <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong. My expectations, I'm not expecting a Broadway show to air on Fox. I mean, I think the original is so fantastic. I mean, I could pretty much recite every word of that soundtrack by heart. It's ridiculous. But at the same time, if they can get somewhere in the middle from what we're expecting, I, I think that's going to be a win. And I think just that the fact that this is going to air is a win. I'm looking forward to seeing some of the people. I mean, I think that that is what's going to have me at least curious. I think, yes. that, I think that Vanessa Hudgens had a lot of success and got a big bounce out of Greece and she's going to be playing Maureen. And, and, and that, that was the role originally played so memorably by Adina Menzel on Broadway and in the movie. And lest you forget, Vanessa, this is not her first time in Rent. She previously played the role of Mimi, which is a breakout role in the Hollywood Bowl stage production directed by Neil Patrick Harris, who coming full circle the very first time I saw Rent in L.A., Neil Patrick Harris played, played the central role of Mark, who's basically the, narr the narrator for the audience. But there are other various talented people of various different types. Brandon Victor Dixon, who was phenomenal in Jesus Christ Superstar, is playing Tom Collins. That should be fun. Kiersey Clemens, who was in... Uh, Dope. She was in Dope, and she was all... You know, she's just an extremely talented young actress who they're catching at exactly the right moment. Uh, Hearts Beat Loud was the thing that she actually also sang in. So people who saw that little Sundance movie from last year with Nick Offerman also, they know she's got a great voice. and That should be interesting. And she's playing opposite Vanessa Hudgens, playing Joanne, the role of Joanne. I, I think it I think it should be interesting. And I am I am curious. I'm just not going into it with if this is not good, it's going to break my heart. I'm going into it with a it would be nice if this young cast was exciting and did well and was enthusiastic and energetic, which was the thing I enjoyed most when I saw it on stage is great cast, great energy. And the thing that Christopher Columbus in the movie got so horribly, horribly wrong is that the entire movie feels essentially embalmed and there was not an iota of energy in that entire movie. So, And like I said, this is why diehard runheads forget that the movie was a thing. <laughs> Whereas those of us who don't love Rent point to it and go, see, it's really easy to screw up. Yeah, so. so pressure's on. We'll have to wait and see if Fox is able to truly deliver on this one. We'll see. For our next topic, let's stick with the stage and really how Netflix is bringing some of Broadway's biggest hits to subscribers who can't make it to New York. Number three. This week, the streamer announced that American Son, starring Scandal grad Kerry Washington, is going to get the Netflix treatment. The new take will be filmed with the original cast and director in a hybrid mix of a play and a movie. This is the third time now that Netflix has brought Broadway to the masses after recording one of Bruce Springsteen's Tony-winning one-man shows on Broadway and having done the same for the Nick Roll and John Mulaney, the Oh Hello Show. 
Dan, I mean, what do you think of these? I mean, did you, when you were in New York, did you get to see Bruce Springsteen? I did not. The first thing I like is that we are a TV podcast. And so far today, our segments have gone movie awards show, Broadway musical on TV, and Broadway shows and musicals on streaming. So we we cover lots of terrain not television. <laughs> it really just illustrates the, the scope of which television has evolved in the streaming era, too. Yeah, no, I I have not uh, seen the, I haven't even watched the Springsteen on Broadway on Netflix currently, but I'm, I'm intrigued by this as a different way of doing this. PBS has been doing stuff like this for years. And, and I think when people have these discussions about the bringing of Broadway and bringing of stage productions to television, I, I feel like poor PBS often gets kind of left out. They do all of the live from Lincoln centers and live from all of these places. And they often have filmed versions of plays. So you can see not necessarily everything you would ever want to see on Broadway. But there are lots of great things that you can catch. I mean, there was the Neil Patrick Harris Company. I believe that the Hugh Jackman Oklahoma, which I did see live in London, uh, I believe that aired on PBS. So lots of this. I think it's a just a good way of doing it. I'm I'm kind of curious as to what your thoughts are regarding Netflix getting involved with this and Netflix's sort of tentative desire to do things that are more live and live-like, but the fact that none of these are actually going to be live productions, unlike Rent. I think what we're seeing here is Netflix looking for another market. I mean, they've made no secret that they want to be everything to everyone. So they've we've seen what they've done with scripted comedies and dramas. They exploded the market for stand-up comedies, which is a market that was previously occupied by HBO and Showtime and Comedy Central. They raised the prices for some of those. I mean, look no further than paying Chris Rock $20 million for one original stand-up set. And they paid him $40 million for two stand-up specials. And now I think in the past couple of months, we've seen Netflix really go after Hallmark with a lot of these like soapier dramas that are low budget, but really, I mean, they're going after the Hallmark audience. It's no, make no mistake. And I wonder now if this is Netflix going after the PBS crowd with some of these shows, I mean, with some of these Broadway productions. I think it's going to be interesting to see who actually does these right, because I think there's a lot to be said for putting these Broadway productions on film and making sure that they're available for the masses. And I think that's great. But if it's just going to be someone setting up a camera in the rafters and there's not going to be any particular authorial stamp, it's always going to come wildly far short. Of capturing the experience, and and I think it would I think it's important as people attempt to find ways to capture plays and musicals and put them on TV that they look to something like, I don't know what Spike Lee did with Passover, which is on Amazon. You know, if you get a director who actually has a direct personal connection to the material, and is willing to put an authorial stamp on it there's a much better chance that these can be things that capture more than just, okay, here is, again, to use the word embalmed, here's an embalmed version of a Broadway production that you never got to see. And it's giving you 15% of what you might have gotten if you'd actually been there. No, it, someone someone needs to put actual thought into how to do this and how to do it right and how to do it where it actually adds value and it's not just a stream of someone's cell phone leaning over the edge at Hamilton photographing one number. There, there has to be a way to make the storytelling medium specific. And, and that's what I will be interested to see as this happens more frequently. And I feel like it's going to happen. I definitely more think frequently. so. And, and, and to be clear with American Sun, it's the original cast 
the original producers, and the original director, all returning, basically filming this without the audience. So I, to your point, I'm, I'll be curious to see how, how it compares. It's just such a different discipline, though, the discipline of directing stage production versus turning a stage production into an actual film or TV show. And that's where the the challenge comes. But I, I like the idea, and I like the idea that this is something that Netflix wants to be involved in and that they want to be involved in bringing semi-live experiences to you, kind of like a Fathom Events, only better and part of your already existing and incrementally rising subscription price. So yeah, that that's the thing that I want to see is is whether this is just going to be another thing people do, because that's the problem with so many of, of Netflix's comedy specials already is that they're already delivered with with no particular perspective. It's just someone setting up a camera. And it's very rare that you actually get a comedy special where it feels consciously directed and feels consciously translated from the stage experience. And even something as great as Nanette, which I which I love, it's still mostly Hannah Gatsby standing on stage. And there there's that extra step that separates a great concert film from okay, I just filmed someone doing a funny stand-up routine. It'll be interesting. I will say, as I was looking online for rent clips, <laughs> you can, if you pay, I think it's like 12 bucks, you can watch the entire original Broadway performance of Rent if you pay 13 bucks on YouTube. Do you know who produced that or who, like where it came from, I guess I would be the question. I, I, that much I don't know, but it, I will say the account was verified. It was like a, a some sort of Broadway account on YouTube. So I don't know. I mean, I think what we're seeing now is that where there's an appetite for something, Netflix wants to be there. And in this case, this is, you know, a play starring Kerry Washington that's topical, that had a limited run and was unable to really get to all the demand. So if there's a demand to see it, who is Netflix to not deliver it, right? More value for subscribers. And I'll be curious as to how quickly these things come around, because there are also always going to be distinctions between a play which has a set opening and closing date and doesn't necessarily run with a secondary or, th or tertiary cast and something like Hamilton, where... Yes, if you gave people the opportunity to see a recording of the original Broadway cast of Hamilton on Netflix or wherever, people would pay much money to see that. But I, would, I would pay to see that. Of course. But the producers of Hamilton would be like, yes, but we're still getting a ridiculous amount of money off of the 18th string cast currently on Broadway. There's no particular incentive or inducement for us to make it available for everyone. You know, yes, it's the democratization of the art form, but screw that. We'd rather get $150 or... I wonder how much they're currently making for scalped tickets for the 10th Broadway cast of Hamilton. Yeah, I think I think those will be key distinctions because people are going to be like, sure, I'd like to see Kerry Washington in a play, but I'd really like to see Hamilton. And no one's giving them Hamilton. So yeah. at least not yet. <laughs> not yet. Well, I think that's going to take us to our fourth topic this week. It's time for the Television Critics Association's Winter Press Tour. Number four. Twice a year, broadcast cable networks as well as select streamers meet 200 or so members of the press and tout their new and returning series. While Netflix is not participating this year, big players including Amazon, Hulu, and HBO are, and they are bringing some big name stars, including George Clooney for Catch-22 on Hulu and Meryl Streep for Big Little Lies Season 2 over on HBO. For a preview of what to expect, I'm joined by the respected TCA president, who also happens to be, drumroll, Dan Feinberg. Dan, you've been working closely with all the networks and streamers on the press tour. What can we expect this year? I wear so many hats. I, I think what we can see is the latest example of just how much 
there is on TV. I, I feel like more and more and more that is what press tour proves and bears out and reminds us and more and more as the TV critics role becomes, as my colleague Tim Goodman likes to say, one of, of curation, what press tour remains vital for is getting the information out there so that it can be curated and getting the content out there and getting everything on the radars of the respective TV critics. So even if Netflix isn't doing a full day this year, there are still an endless string of streamers and big players bringing the biggest of talents, you know, as Catch-22 on Hulu with George Clooney. Come on. Meryl Streep on Big Little Lies Season 2. Come on. It's bigger and bigger. And to me, that's a lot of what is exciting about being there is, is getting exposure. For, from your perspective, what are the kinds of things that you will be interested in seeing or hearing or finding out about? What's, what's the glimpse on the industry that you hope to take away? Well, the things that I always really enjoy. I mean, look, I'm not going to – I'm not unhappy that George Clooney is going to be in the same room, ideally. I mean, I'm a big ER fan, but – the panels that I always look forward to are the executive sessions. These are the panels that help set the narrative that we write about all year long. So maybe Charlie Collier from Fox, who just took over the beginning of the year, maybe he'll come out and meet the press and, and offer a glimpse at what we can expect from that network once it becomes untethered from its studio. You know, we can expect the same. Maybe, you know, we're going to meet Carrie Burke, who's a former Freeform exec VP development, who's now taking over for Channing Dungey as ABC's entertainment president. This is the biggest time of change in the industry that I've seen in a long time. You've got new, a new regime at NBC. I feel like we talk about that, you know, the, all the regime changes every week on this podcast. But this is – and we, we do that for a reason. This is a big moment for all the broadcast networks and a lot of these cable networks too. Like how do you survive when you've got competitors like Apple and Netflix and Amazon all coming in with deep pockets, recruiting the biggest showrunners, recruiting the biggest talent, and signing them to exclusive deals? I mean, just last week, Jason Kadams left his longtime home at Universal for a deal at Apple. This is the guy who did two of the most beloved family dramas on broadcast, who's now making content exclusively for Apple. Would you really call Rise one of the most beloved family dramas ever? Listen, I liked Rise. <laughs> Back off, Dan. And I'm talking about Friday Night Lights and Parenthood, but you can leave Rise alone. I think it got the I think it got a, the, drew the short stick. It was very good. I watched all ten. I do, too, and I agree it got better towards the end. I think it and Josh Radner both gave itself the short stick uh, in the in the first half. No, I, I agree, and I, it's sort of— But that was also a show that was really just killed by a bad TCA panel. I mean, when you go back and remember, Jason Kadams, who I absolutely love as a showrunner, very fair, very humble, very just down-to-earth, and just wants to make good shows that connect with viewers— he was asked about the source material and the character of the central character in the book, who is a high school teacher who takes over a, a struggling drama department. In the book, the character is gay. On the show, the character is straight. And he was asked about the change, and his quotes were twisted around and went viral, and it became the narrative surrounding the show, which hadn't even premiered yet, was that Jason Kadams was straightwashing his lead character, which is the furthest thing from the truth. This is the character in a book who came out in his 50s. Who knows what would have happened in Rise season four? I mean, this is Jason coming out and saying, I need to make a character that's relatable for me, at least to start, because that's my way in. He could have given a better answer, would True. be what I would say. And so that True, but that killed the show. <laughs> it was dead before it even premiered. It didn't. It definitely did not help the show. And I think that's one of the things that we always say is no one no one wants to come across as too prepared on a press tour panel on but the yet other everyone hand everyone is overly prepared these are actors and showrunners and and sometimes executives that come out with 
with a strict line of talking points. And it's, it's exhausting to listen to. Well, and yet we're always still surprised when they don't have answers to very basic questions. Like, for example, that one. I mean, he should have known that question was coming and should have had an answer which couldn't be misconstrued. So impressing upon talent that it's important to have answers when they're going to a press conference in front of a room of 250 reporters doesn't seem like a, a complicated thing to impress upon talent. But yes, there is there is no question. And yeah, as you say, as you say, the a lot of the biggest questions relate to these very, very slow moving, but colossal stories like the Fox ABC situation, which we've now this is the third press tour in a row where we've had those questions. And so, you know, last year in January, everyone was saying, oh, it's business as usual. And then in July, oh, it's business as usual, but it might, <laughs> maybe not so much as usual. At a certain point, there's going to be a, okay. Right. And then all the executives moved over to Disney. So here's, at a certain point, there will have to be a, here's what the new normal actually looks like. And maybe this is going to be the press tour for that. Or maybe we're going to have to wait till July, because I think there are definitely going to be questions that are still needing to be answered again, the executives aren't going to have the answers to. But I think it's getting harder and harder for any of them to say business as usual because we're past that. Yes, definitely. Please don't tell us it's business as usual. <laughs> Admit, every, everything is changing. Tell us how. At, at least offer insight. We get that there's deals that aren't done yet and all that kind of things. But, you know, I, I always go back to the Paulie sessions at ABC, you know, where he called everything sticky and he loved everything. And I mean, I'm, I don't make us write those stories. I always find, you know, look, and I, I'm maybe I'm just uh, kind of jaded here, but just come out and tell us the truth. That's all. That's all I ever ask for for anyone. <laughs> Don't sugarcoat it. Like, yeah, we have some work to do. That's great. That's a good narrative. CBS, we're waiting for you. No exec session there. They, tons of questions, yeah. but no exec session. Hey, at least they did an exec session in July when they were right in the middle of the utter crap fest that was that particular moment. So I appreciated that. At the time. Right. But, but I would absolutely love some execs from CBS to come out and talk about Bull and Michael Weatherly and what they're doing on, on you know, behind the scenes to, to really drastically change the culture. I mean, if, I, if I'm a showrunner, am I selling shows to CBS? Yes, because they, they pay a ton of money. They have a great success record. They know exactly what, what that network is. But it's also like, am I selling a show to CBS? Like, you know, the, the, the questions of, of culture, of do people want to be there still? I don't know. I would be interested to hear from, from CBS execs. That's that's what I'm saying is my point here. Zero disagreement here, Leslie. <laughs> well, Mr. TCA president, make it happen. Let's get those exec sessions on the books. All I can do is make clear that's our preference as well. Well, is there anything else coming at, at TCA that you're really looking forward to from a critical standpoint? There's just the pleasure of actually finally getting to see screeners for a lot of these things, which I don't currently have time for. But I am I am looking forward to actually watching an hour of Catch-22. I'm looking forward to seeing if anything in the spring uh, slate of broadcast pilots looks any good. I want to see Sam Rockwell and Michelle Williams in an episode or two of Fosse Vernon. This, these are the things that I want. So bring them on. And I'm also really looking, you know, from my point of view, I love when an actress or an actor comes out and takes the stage and really surprises TCA. I always go back to the moment Gina Rodriguez took the stage for the very first time for Jane the Virgin. The room had no idea who she was, really probably very little awareness of what Jane the Virgin was going to, going to be. And she came out and made an impassioned speech about roles for Latino women and choosing to not play the role of a maid and, and waiting until there was a better role for her. 
and it changed the narrative and it made her career. It launched her. There was everyone in that room knew who she was. Oh, press tour can make media sensations. It can also, you know, kill people, not literally, but their careers or not literally their careers, but maybe their shows. But yeah, it can definitely make an entire room of reporters want to write about your show. Or actor. Or actor, which again, with something like Fosse Verdon, it doesn't. It's not the same thing. You do not need to convince a room of reporters to write about Fosse Verdon, but you do sometimes with other things. So we'll see. Looking forward to it. We will, our, our next podcast, which will not be next week, but will be the week after, will be in the middle of Press Tour. So we will have more updates on what we have learned or what has been obfuscated then. Yes, and you'll be able to keep up with all the news coming out of Press Tour at THR.com slash TCA. As always, we wrap things up with our fifth and final topic with the Critics Corner segment. Number five. This week, Netflix is saying goodbye to Kimmy Schmidt. TNT will debut I Am the Night, starring Chris Pine in a reunion with Wonder Woman exec producer Patty Jenkins. NBC will wrap the season of Will and Grace. And Netflix launches its Amy Poehler-produced comedy Russian Doll, starring Natasha Lyonne from Orange is the New Black. Dan, what's interesting? Well, my reviews of both I Am the Night and uh, Russian Doll are already up on The Hollywood Reporter, so one can check them out. And one of those two shows would be my pick for the week, and the other one would be TNT's I Am the Night, which unfortunately is, a, is to me a kind of muddled disappointment that doesn't really know what story it's trying to tell. And yet Chris Pine is really, really good in it. But it takes the story of Fauna Hodel, who was a real person, and makes her into basically a background player in the Black Dahlia murder investigation. And it, it feels like it's taking away a real person's voice and narrative and using it for a semi-fictional construct that I just don't find all that interesting. And yeah, and that was a script that really a lot of networks passed on before it landed at TNT. So I'm, I'm, I'm not too surprised to hear your thoughts on that. You, you can tell the shifting because they began with the title One Day She'll Blacken, which was Fauna Hodel's memoir's title. And that gave the impression it was based on this woman's memoir. The actual title, which is generic and confusing and means nothing, and the actual credit is inspired by, which is a step down from based on. And you you can tell it, it it's a disappointment in that respect, though I really do think that Chris Pine is very good in it. It's a, it's a movie star performance. I just don't understand why the show thinks that it's his story as opposed to hers when it sets itself up as her story. So some people will like it. Some people won't. It disappointed me. The one that I, that I really like is Russian Doll, which Natasha Lyonne co-created. And it's just a great showcase for her. And I know that she is not going to be for everybody. She has a particularly acerbic tone persona and she steers into it aggressively but she also knows the things that she hasn't gotten to do and she gives herself a lot of great material the the story is kind of groundhog day-esque and ultimately revealing anything more beyond that would be cruel uh yeah, it would take the fun out of out of watching the pilot yeah in my my review i did not spoil anything that netflix didn't spoil in its trailer that was that was the rule i made for myself is if netflix wants to reveal it Maybe I will, but otherwise I'm keeping it quiet. I think this is I've I've watched the first two or three episodes and I think this is a show that's best discovered without watching a trailer, without reading anything about it. Just go in cold. It's really surprising. It's very good. At least my my two cents. Oh no, it, it absolutely is. And having watched the entire eight episode season, uh, this is 
very important for a show like this, sticking the ending is so crucial because if you get to the last couple episodes and it's clear that they had no idea what the story was they're telling, it could be a huge frustration. The last couple episodes of Russian Doll were my favorite episodes of the of the series. So they stick the landing. They stick the landing, and God, I hope Netflix doesn't make a second season. <laughs> oh, well. Because there's absolutely no reason to make a second season. I would go to the creators and say, what else you got? Give us whatever the next thing is on your list because you guys are fantastic. I would not attempt to repeat or recycle the success of this. But Netflix doesn't listen to me on such matters. Well, so far as we know, there's only one season of Maniac, so maybe they are listening. <laughs> Who knows? Time will tell. Well, this feels like a good note to end things on. Thank you for listening to TV's Top 5, the Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast. As Dan mentioned, we'll be back in two weeks after the Sundance Film Festival and smack dab in the middle of TCA. Until then, be sure to subscribe on your various podcast platforms. And if you like us, we would also appreciate you rating us and reviewing us because that helps spread the word of mouth. We appreciate all of your compliments. Yeah, and your constructive criticism, too. Thank you for listening. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.